You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. 1 John, I'm looking at chapter 4, and, and this verse has to do with loving one another and how love, loving each other is a very good thing. Um, so we, we are talking about this month, just to kind of preface what we're doing here, we're talking about cults and heresy and different groups that are very similar to Christianity, but very different. And so I wanted to preface this whole talk with love and this, this passage about love, because we are not called to hate another religion. We are not called to hate someone who is Mormon, for instance. We're not called to hate a Jehovah's Witness, but we're called to love them. We're called to love individuals and to, to let our love be a light in this world. And so this passage is 1 John chapter 4. Are you there? If you're there, say, I'm there. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. 1 John 4, 7. And it says this, says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed us his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might um, live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then the last verse here, verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for this gift of love that we can share with each other. God, that you've put us, you've put something inside of us that is totally of you. This passage says that you are love. And God, we want our lives to reflect that. We want to We want to talk to people of other religions. We want to learn about other religions with a love for the people. God, we want to to show them love so that they may see who you truly are, that that you, God, are love. You loved us by sending your son. That's the ultimate sacrifice. So God, we, we praise you this morning. We honor you. We love you, Jesus. And everybody screamed. Amen. A lot of screaming going on. I guess that's a pretty normal Sunday for Mill Sunday School. But um, uh, back in the day, a long time ago, a bunch of letters were sent out to the known world. Letters with carriers. And these letters went out all out to the known world, to every city, to a- every major providence that was known. And it invited every single leader of that city. The carrier of the letter would bring the letter, find out who the leader of the city was. Christian leader. Uh, you could call it the bishop. You can call it the head priest. You could call it the head pastor. Whoever was like the, the head of the city of, of, of Christianity. And so they'd go to this head leader, they find out who it was, and they invite them to this conference, to this council. And so all over the known world at the time, all of these leaders were being invited to this council, this ecumenical council. And the word ecumenical means universal, because literally letters and carriers went out over all of the known world. And can you imagine that, how awesome that would be if like every major city that had a Christian in it, that that city got to send a representative to this huge committee, this huge council representing Christianity. Wouldn't that be sweet? That would be pretty sweet. And this happened. This is a true story. This happened a long time ago in our history. And um, the people traveling to and from this council were given free travel, like all your travel expenses taken care of. You didn't just have to travel by yourself. You were allowed to take two other church leaders and three people in your congregation. So six of you got to travel all summer, or you got to travel to be a part of this council that lasted all summer long. The year was 325. AD. So we're talking a long time ago. This is the first ecumenical council. This is, um, we're, we're talking about uh, the Council of Nicaea. Has anyone ever heard of that before? If you were here last week, we taught, we actually had the, the, um, the, uh, the creed before us, the Nicene Creed before us. And so the people at this council, being invited to this council, got together. They spent all summer long in the city of Nicaea, which is just south of the capital, Constantinople, at the time of the, of the Roman Empire's ruling. And, and they, they, they sat down and they, had a, they first had to take care of some church business. Things like um, they had to decide, oh, what day is Easter going to be on? Is it, there's, there's a Gregorian calendar. There's a Roman calendar. There's, um, you know, the Jewish calendar. 
calendar. What day is Easter going to be on? They got together and they decided, oh, that Easter should be on this day. And we, we still kind of follow that tradition. They decided that, you know, it's not good for churches to lend money to people. Like a priest or a church, if you lend money to people and then charge interest. You can lend money, but just don't charge interest because then the people are, it's like going to get a payday loan and then you hate the payday loan place and then and you owe all this money because you couldn't wait to get your plasma TV. I know some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so there's so no payday loans. Churches can't lend money to people for exorbitant interest rates or any interest rate. They could be kind and lend, but no lending for money. Um, another thing that they decided on, this is just to get your attention and be like, what? Um, <laughs> they, it, back in the day, for some reason, early church leaders, uh, men, they, they thought it a good idea. Not all, just there was a few. There's a few like... W- kind of outspoken people that thought, you know, Paul said it's better not to marry, but if you burn, then you shouldn't get married, you know, burned with desire. So you should castrate yourself so that you don't burn with desire. And so the church got together and said, it's illegal to do that. Don't do that. And so they made a rule. Like imagine like having a vote and like making a rule about it's, it's illegal to self-castrate yourself. It's like, that's a rule, darn it. <laughs> Anyways, so... They made that rule, and then the point I'm getting to um, is that they sat down to, to, to write the creed. And it's the creed we looked at last week, and you can get the podcast and, and, and listen to what we talked about last week because it's foundationally important to this lecture. And they, and they, they decided on many things. They, they came together, and they didn't just vote, but they confirmed what they already knew to be true. For instance, they confirmed that Jesus is, in fact, God. How many times in the Bible does Jesus claim to be one with the Father, um, to be I and the Father and one? He says, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Before, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Um, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, Philippians 2.6, um, Jesus being in the very nature God. So like all these verses, it's clear, it's obvious. We confirm in this creed, so it says, uh, Jesus, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. So they wrote that in the creed. And then at the creed, there's this big council. There's like 300 people there. So like three times as many people that are in here. And all these church leaders. And one of the 300 stands up and says, I disagree with that. I don't think Jesus was in fact God. And they had a debate. And and at the end, they kind of voted. But the vote was a clear landslide. It was like 300, everyone in the room, except for Arius, the guy that stood up and said, Jesus isn't God, and his friend, his follower. And and that process of of declaring something, Jesus is God, but then having, having someone stand up and saying, no, I don't believe that. Then they had to go through a process. They had to... They had to say, yes, we really do believe this. And they had to not just declare it, but they had to confirm it. They had to argue about it. They had to present a case, present their point that Jesus is in fact God. And I think that that process of of debating, of uh, deciding, of um, having to confirm that Jesus truly is God was a good process for the church to go through. You, so that we weren't just flippantly saying, yeah, Jesus is God, we believe that, let's put it in a creed. But the, the process of someone standing up and disagreeing with that, I think as a church helped us. Because like, yeah, we really need to make a good case about this. This is foundational to our religion. And so that process was a good thing. So that's the, that's the process of the Council of Nicaea. Of course, I just you know briefly... Uh, covered that, but that's that's what happened back then, and that's that's our tradition is in line with the Nicene Creed that we hold Jesus as one in being with the Father, and and later. This month, we're going to take a whole Sunday. Jordan, uh, who just got his MDiv, like a master's in divinity, he's really smart. And uh, he is going to talk about Jesus, who our Jesus is, the Jesus of the Bible, compared to different religions or cults or heresies, um, whatever you want to call them for now. And so that, that topic, we're going, to, we're going to dwell upon that later in the Mill Sunday School. But that's kind of a heads up where we're going, that we're talking about these important things, that, that the, excuse me, the important things that we believe and comparing them with cults and heresies and other religions so that the main point being that, that we can be encouraged, that we can truly know what it is we believe in comparison with a religion that may be so similar and yet so foundationally different. So this month uh, we're talking about cults and heresy. You know, I, I can't think of a better Mother's Day topic. Can, can anyone else? <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> 
Um, but we are, we are talking about that uh, all this month. Um, so, so just a little heads up of what's coming. Uh, we're going to talk about various uh, other religions today. Jehovah's Witnesses, 12 tribes, Freemasons, uh, Christian scientists today. Next week, we're going to spend a whole Sunday on Mormonism uh, and to compare some of the similarities and, and, and major differences. And then the week after that, our guest speakers, a lot of you probably know Esther Fleece. She comes to the mill. She's really an expert on Mormonism, has led many Mormons to Christ, uh, the true Christ. And, um, and so she's coming the, the Sunday after that. And then the last Sunday this month, I already told you, Jordan is going to be sharing about who Jesus is compared to other religions. So that's kind of a heads up. One more announcement. If you're new to Mill Sunday School, if you're, this is your first time, there's first timer cards on the table. You can fill one of those out, bring it to the nice people in the back as you leave. They'll give you a CD with, with some of New Life Church's own worship music and a sermon from the Mill on Friday night, which the Sunday School is kind of a small group. However, I guess we're not that small anymore, but we are from, we are part of the mill, which meets on Friday. So, those are all the announcements. I feel like I'm talking fast because we, there's, I feel like there's a lot. Today's going to be, I feel like, I feel like every Sunday's different in the mill Sunday school. You never know what you're going to get, like a box of chocolates. This Sunday is, is, it's, 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 it's going to be very heady, just to kind of throw that warning out to you. You're probably, if, you, if you're the kind of person that likes to take notes, you're probably going to fill up maybe, maybe a poll page or a couple of these skillet things that we hand out. If you have extra paper, it might be good. Uh, it's, just very, it's very, very teachy this morning. We're going to go through um, different other religions and compare them. And so let's just jump right in. If you're, if you're looking at the notes, it's got an outline uh, it's got a cool little cover of uh, what uh, the kingdom will look like to one of these uh, religions. We'll talk about that in a second. But on the inside, it says, tendency to demonize religions so similar. Do you see that statement? And I think it's, it's us as Christians that have a tendency. It's a tendency inside of us to demonize, to, to, to paint the picture so dark, so black, um, of these other religions that are so similar to us and yet so foundationally different. What do I mean by that? Well, th- this idea of demonization is kind of, it's kind of my word, uh, um, but it's this idea that, you know, for instance, Mormons, we're going to talk about them more next week, but I think there's a tendency inside of us because a Mormon claims to be a Christian. If you've talked to a Mormon, if they're on TV, they, they may say, oh yeah, we're, we're Christians. We're, they may even say, we're just another denomination. And I wish mainline Christianity would see us that way. And then we, as evangelical Christians, look at the Mormons and say, wait, there's some things that are severely, foundationally different than what it is that we believe. And so there's a big difference. And so instead of, I think that we have this tendency to, instead of you know, going right to the foundational differences. Instead, there's this tendency to, to, be, to demonize, to say, oh, what the Mormons do is, is so evil, is so bad. They, you know, and, and maybe you've heard rumors or stories and you expound upon these stories in your mind or whatever. You're like, you know what they do in their temples? You know, they, they have satanic rituals in their temples. And, you know, they cut the heads off chickens and then eat the chickens raw and then get naked and pour the blood on themselves. And they do all this bad stuff. And, and if you like share that with a Mormon, they will look at you like you're insane, like, we do what? Like, what? No, on Monday nights, we get together and we sing songs and play Monopoly. I don't know what the heck you're talking about. We go to church and we worship, we worship the Heavenly Father and we talk about Jesus. I don't know anything about cutting the heads off of chickens and getting naked. And, like, they'll, they'll just look at you like you're insane. Like, you, we do what, according to you guys? You guys are, you guys are foolish. That's, that's silly. That's insane to think that we do that. And so I think... But isn't there that tendency? I mean, I just painted the picture of something pretty extreme, but I think there's this tendency to paint this, the difference between, say, our evangelical Christianity and Jehovah's Witnesses or uh, 12 tribes. We'll talk about them today. Or Christian scientists or Mormons, like we'll talk about next time. And to, to pick little things and say, oh, aren't you guys a cult? Aren't you guys, you know, not allowed to, to do this and that? And don't you guys wear secret underwear? And, and don't you guys, you know, you don't, you don't join the military because you think you have your own military. Like all this, you, we, we tend to demonize, to, to, to concentrate on these details that are just, in fact, that. 
that. They're details. They're, 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 they're the weird little things that, that every group of people has. Uh, I guess, I mean, in, in different forms. I, I kind of explained that last week. So if you're like, that's a weird statement, listen, listen to last, last week's podcast. But I think we, we need to concentrate on what is foundationally different. And, and, and by saying to a Mormon or to a Freemason, like, you know who you really worship? You're telling me you worship God, but you really worship Satan. They just look at you like you're insane. I think we need, out of our love for people, we need to ask them what they believe, take them at their word for it, read their state, you know, go to their websites, read their statements of faith, and you know what? There is plenty that they believe, that they will tell you that they believe, that we can disagree with foundationally. Most of the things that we're going to talk about today don't believe Jesus is God. They have to earn their way to salvation. There are major things that are different. Let's concentrate on those things, the things that we can put our finger on, the things that we can actually talk about instead of these secret things. That's where I'm going with this today. Because there is such a thing as the occult. There is such a thing as Satanism. And, and so this week, as in preparation for uh, talking about this subject in the Mill Sunday School, I picked up um, the book, The Satanic Bible, by Anton LaVey. It's up here. You can come look at it later. It's got a picture on the back of this guy that's got a goatee and the, the pentagram, and he looks scary and actually kind of looks silly. He looks like a dip. Like, Rawr. It's like, what? <laughs> Who cares? Anyways... The, the, the satanic Bible. So if you're wondering, like, what's Joe doing during the week? That's what he's doing. He's reading the satan. Just kidding. Everybody lighten up. Just, just relax. This, happy Mother's Day, everybody. Uh, what I was surprised about in this book, and I, I don't recommend reading this book or picking it up at the library. Or, um, it's just not, it's not good. And I'll, t- I'll give you a, give you a two-minute description of this book, and, and you'll know f- really what's inside of it. And, and what I found, what actually surprised me, I had no idea what this book was going to be about when I picked it up, but um, it was much less spiritual than it was humanistic. What I mean by that is like in my head I was thinking, oh, in this book is this going to be, you know, rituals of how to sacrifice a baby and how to bite the head off a chicken and uh, how to do these weird things. And, and it's like that wasn't at all what was in this book. This book was much more humanistic, much more worship of yourself than it is any other being. In fact, let me give you some of the quotes. This is the, the nine, right in the beginning, the nine satanic statements. I'll read a couple of them. Satanism represents indulgence. Satanism represents kindness to only to those who deserve it. Satanism represents man as just another animal. Satan represents every kind of uh, gratification. Furthermore, uh, let's see, death, as I say, death to the weakling, weak to the strong, or excuse me, death to the weakling, wealth to the strong. It says uh, this statement, it's a direct contradiction of Jesus, obviously, there. Um, it says, hate your enemies with a whole heart. If a man smites you on one cheek, smash him on the other, for self-preservation is the highest law. This is out of the book of Satan, um, or the Satanic Bible, excuse me. Um, and then uh, furthermore, um, it kind of says like, there is no such thing as heaven, nor is there such thing as hell. There is only this life, live for the here and now. Like we've heard people kind of you know, we look at someone's life and it's like, yeah, that's kind of what they're doing. But th- this is actually saying to do that. This is the, the satanic Bible. Uh, furthermore, let's see. Uh, you have no business confessing or asking forgiveness from anyone or any being. So, if, if you're a, if, like a satanist comes to Mill Sunday School and he's sitting down and maybe he knocks over your coffee and spills coffee all over you, he would look at you. And according to this, he can't say, he's, he shouldn't say he's sorry. So he'd probably say something like, how about that? <laughs> it's like, dude, I'm covered in coffee just because you accidentally knocked it over. How about that? <laughs> Anyways, um, this, this surprised me. This kind of sums it up a little bit. Um, it, it, it says, uh, you know, it says, religious holidays, the satanic holiday, the highest of all holidays in the satanic religion is, and I would, I would have guessed, oh, Halloween or something, but they say it's one's own birth. Like you celebrate yourself, you indulge, you gratify yourself. This book is telling you, you not only can do that, but you should do that. There's no such thing as God. There's no such thing as good or evil or heaven or hell. These are all just silly things. And so worship yourself. Worship what the, you know, the rest of the world and all the churches say is bad. We say is good in this book. And so go ahead and indulge yourself. And so I bring up all of this to say, 
This is Satanism. And I have the book of the Satanic Bible up here. You can come look at it later. To accuse a Freemason, which we'll talk about in a second, or a Mormon, or a Jehovah's Witnesses, of of being Satan worshippers is just silly. Because there is something out there called, you know, Satanism. You can, you can join a group and you could do some of these things that this book's talking about, about being self-indulgent and gratifying yourself and smashing another person on the cheek and only giving kindness to those who deserve it. Like th- there is Satanism. And, and so to, to big point, I'm just going to say it again, to accuse these heretics, these other religions, these so-called cults that we talked about last time, we don't like that word because it's a bad word, of being Satanist is just silly. Like there, there really is Satanism and these other, if you ask a Mormon, like, are you guys Satanists? They'll just look at you like you're silly. Like, no, of course not. That's silly. Um, furthermore, uh, this is a side note. Would you like to hear a side note about the Satanic Bible? Okay. Um, I was, so I was reading this, and, um, and I was kind of, this is going to be weird to say, but I was, like, I found something in here that was encouraging. Just... <laughs> Don't stop listening now. Keep listening because I have more to say. Here's what I found. So in Satanism, it's all about yourself, all about self-indulgence. Man is another animal. Just do whatever you want to do. In here, in this this section about, it's a section about satanic sex, actually. Um, And it says, you know, you can um, satisfy your desires with one person or as many other people as you feel necessary to satisfy your own particular needs. And then it says this, which I found just so interesting. And it's a glimmer. It's a shred of morality in the book of Satan. And it, it, it came, it struck out to me is like this, this totally contrary thing to this book of Satan. This is saying, man's another animal. Do whatever you want. Do whatever feels good. Indulge yourself because there, there's no afterlife. You could do whatever you want. And then it says, you know, Satan, Satanism encourages any form of sexual expression you may desire as so long as it hurts no one else. It's like, where in the world did that... I mean, in the context of this, of this, you know, black... It's literally got a black cover. In the midst of this, there is no morality. There is no good and evil. There is nothing. Just do whatever feels good. There's this, there's this piece of morality that says, you, you, just do whatever you want as long as... Sexually, as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. So, so rape is wrong. Child molestation, that's wrong. These things are wrong. But on what basis is that declared wrong? Is that interesting to anyone else? That even within Satanism is this morality. And morality, you know, C.S. Lewis would argue, if there is morality and all people would agree to something, I mean, even a Satanist is agreeing that there's some morality, then if there's morality, then there has to be a moral law giver. There has to be something above moral law to give moral law so that it doesn't, I mean, so, so there's a shred of morality in this book of Satan. Like, where in the world did that come from? And so if you're a Satanist, and let's just say, you know, God forbid you, you did sin according to this book. You made the mistake of taking advantage of someone and, or raping someone, God forbid. If you're a Satanist, what do you do with that? You just broke a moral law. Because it also says, you know, you can't apologize to anyone or any being. So how do you get right with this moral law, this moral law giver. And so, so even this, though this sounds very weird, like as I was reading this book this week, I was encouraged. Like even Satanists, there is a morality. And if there's a morality, then there's a moral law giver. And if there's a moral law giver, then there has to be some way of getting right with the moral law giver if you've broken a moral law. And Satanism obviously doesn't provide that. They just, I don't, I don't, they, don't, they just don't provide any answer. They just say, they just kind of say it flippantly. Like, you know, don't harm anyone else during sex is, is the rule. But like, where did that come from? It had to have come from this higher moral law that even a Satanist agrees to. So anyways, that, that was a bit of a rabbit trail on that. But I just, I thought I would share it just because well, you, most of us just hear about this book and, and don't really know what's inside of it. Now you kind of have a clue of what's inside of it. And um, so... Anyways, that's what that is. Okay, so that's the occult. So if you're looking at definitions of the occult, the the next word on your notes there, the occult, Latin for hidden or secret, the occult, not to be confused with just occult, actually has to do with supernatural, mystical, magical, paranormal, relics, openness to evil, dark magic, uh, witches, Satanism, worshiping yourself, pentagrams, uh, rituals involving 
um, sacrifices of animals, you know, like chickens or cats or Halloween things. Like those are all occult things. That is what the occult is. And so sometimes we just, you know, in our minds that the word cult and occult is so similar that we just think, oh, all cults are occultic. And that's not, that's not true. And in fact, last week we even said, you know, we're not even going to use the word cult because it, it doesn't really have a good definition and it's kind of a slam word. It's a bad word. So, therefore, the, the occult is, is actually something. It's followers, followers of this book that someone would meet up and read this book and, and totally believe in self-indulgence. That's the occult. If they're doing voodoo practices, they call themselves a witch. That's the occult. And I think that we need to make a line and say, there's a difference between Mormonism and the occult. There's a difference between Jehovah's Witnesses and the occult. Christian scientists, line being drawn, and the occult. To accuse these groups of being the occult is kind of demonizing them. Which, which I, my thesis is, let's not do that. Let's ask them what they believe. Let's find out the core of what they believe. Let's find out what is foundationally different. Everybody okay? Yeah. So that's where we're going. So... Freemasons. Let, let's do this with Freemasons, because Freemasons is, isn't really a religion. Kind of is, kind of isn't. The Freemasons, has anyone ever heard of Freemasonry? There, there's a couple, I think there's a couple, I know there's one lodge for sure on Fillmore. Um, there's probably a couple other ones. Lodges are where they meet. It's a fraternal organization, meaning guys only. Um, you may have, it's, it's become popular with movies like The Da Vinci Code, National Treasure, some of you may know that presidents like George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, John Hancock, Paul Revere, um, and then other dudes like Voltaire, Mozart are all Freemasons or were Freemasons. If you've ever looked at the dollar bill, I got a dollar up here because I'm rich. And on the back is the, that temple thing, temple with the eyeball, and then it says at the bottom, Novus Ordum. Ordo Seclorum, New World Order. That's a Messian, or excuse me, Mason, uh, a Mason symbol, a free, free Mason symbolism. And so it's, it's kind of worked our way into some of the politics of the United States and some of the symbols and stuff like that. And, and um, I think we have a tendency, because it's a secret society, or as they call themselves, a society with secrets, we can just imagine what goes on in lodges. And maybe we hear rumors and maybe, you know, we, we see some symbols and you're like, what's that symbol mean? It looks kind of like this. And this is a symbol for Satanism. So they must be Satanists. And they must, in their lodge, get together and get naked and bite the heads off chickens and rub the blood on themselves. Crazy, Crazy stuff. But that's not at all. If you ask, does anyone know a Freemason? There's probably a dude or, a, or an older guy or maybe someone in your family who is a Freemason. If you ask them, do you worship Satan in those lodges? Do you, you know, get naked and rub the chicken blood on yourself? They'll just be like, are you insane? Like, are you absolutely stupid? Have you heard nothing about Freemasonry? Let me tell you what it is. And you could even go to like the Freemasonry website and you'll find just facts about them. They're a fraternal organization, the, the world's largest and uh, potentially oldest or still, still going on organization. Um, Freemasonry, th- this is on their website, is not meant to interfere with anyone's individual commitment to his faith, family, o- family or occupation. Freemasonry can never replace those things. Um, but rather it is a positive environment that reminds every Mason of his duty to God, his community, his family, and himself. And so lodges, you meet in a lodge, it's kind of like, you know, instead of drinking beer all day and watching football, it's like, let's call men out and, and meet together. And there's this multi-generational thing where, you know, young men can, can hear from grandfatherly figures and have, you know, business relationships and um, meet some people in the community. And they, they're held together by this fraternal bond. That, if you ask a Freemason what they do, that's what they'll tell you. That's, that's, they say, yeah, that's what we do. To me, this is kind of like a joke slam to the Freemasons, but it kind of, like when I was in second grade, we had this tree house, and we had secret handshakes and secret code words to get in there, and, and, and a big sign that said, no girls allowed. It's kind of like, it's kind of like every second grader's dream. They're like, oh, you've got secret handshakes and secret little passwords to get in, and like, no girls allowed. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> Lighten up, everybody. I'm just kidding around here. Um, but that's, uh, that, to me, that's just a little jokey kind of slam to the Freemasons. Like, it seems, 
It's, it's just an organization for men. So, the big question, what is so wrong with Freemasonry? Because if you look at websites, if you look at YouTube, if you look at uh, the internet as a whole and type in Freemasonry, you will find sites that demonize them. Like the sites that pretty much say they cut the heads off chickens and get naked and rub the blood on themselves to, to worship Satan inside these lodges. It's like, where does all that come from? Well, that comes from the demonization of, of the secret society. So, big question, once again. What is so? What should a Christian's beef be against Freemasonry? And I think you could go to the websites and look at what they believe or what they say. You could ask a Freemason, hey, what do you believe? What do you, what do you say? And I have a friend who is a Freemason. So I've been uh, Facebooking back and forth with my friend who's a Freemason. It's like, what do you guys really do? What do you really believe? What's the deal? And, and the biggest beef that I think Christians should have with Freemasons, what they would admit to is they would say this. They say, when we go into a lodge... We all hold hands, figurative hands of unity. They don't actually hold, maybe they do hold hands, I don't know. But figurative hands of unity, and they all, no matter what each one believes, let's say you're in a, in a city that has, um, it's very uh, multi-religions, lots of diversity. So potentially, in this room of all men, you could have a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Christian, a New Age person, someone who's a Wiccan. You could have all these different religions in the room, and yet they all are in unity, and they pray to the great God, the great, let me, let me get it right, the great architect of the universe. And so to me, that's what the problem is. Because we as Christian believers as Jesus is the only God, Jesus is the only way, I'm only going to pray to Jesus, I'm only going to worship him, I'm only going to bow down to my God, Jesus, the Lord and Savior, to hold hands figuratively with a Muslim, a Buddhist, and say, let's all pray together to the same God, that's compromised to me. That's a little messed up to me as a Christian looking on at that and saying, you know, you in your own head, you may be praying to Jesus when that prayer is being said, but why be a part of that? Why be a part of this secular organization and have men that are your mentors that are, that are potentially secular, potentially not even Christians? Why don't you find that in the church? Why don't you, you know, if you're a new lifer, why don't you go to Guy's Morning Out and, and find a ment- mentorship? You know, there, there's men's groups here at New Life Church for that purpose of, of godly men relationships of encouraging and mentoring each other. So that to me, so... Is, is what is the beef that, that Christians should have against Freemasonry. Makes sense to everyone? So what we're doing here, what I'm trying to represent and um, sh- like do in the midst of, of, of teaching Mel Sunday School is when, when you hear of a cult, of a heresy, get to the root of, of what it is that they believe. So much so that you could ask them, do you believe this? And they would say yes. And then if it's something you would foundationally disagree with, let that be the basis by which you say, Freemasonry, it's not, that, it's not a good thing. Let's, let's not do that. And, and not on the basis of some rumor, some demonization story you've heard. That's, that's the big picture. That's my uh, thesis statement of today. So, with that said, um, religions, the, the next big point in the notes is, religions so similar, but foundationally different. I'm going to take a break from talking for a second and let you look at these three religions that are, that are uh, after religions so similar but foundationally different. The three that we're going to talk about, Christian scientists, Jehovah's Witness, and 12 tribes. My hope is that at least one of you at your table will know something about one of these three and will say, you know, I've heard stories, I've heard they do weird stuff, but foundationally, foundationally important to the most important difference is this. They don't believe this like we do. Would you take a second and just chit-chat amongst your tables and, and maybe listen to, to one or more people that, that know foundational differences of one of these three religions? Ready? Get set. Go. All right. There's a lot uh, of each three of these religions. Um, and, and we are refraining from using the word cult because the word cult is a, is a nasty bad word that no one likes to hear. Like if, if someone accused you of being a part of that cult, the Mill Sunday School, you'd be offended, right? So we're not going to use the word cult just for that. Uh, we're going to use the word religion. So these are three religions that are so similar. They, all three of these would believe in the Bible, yet 
foundationally different. Foundationally different. And I'm just, we're just going to scratch the surface of each of these three. And, um, and, so, and so know that we're just doing that. We're just scratching the surface. We're just trying to find the most foundational difference we can find. Expose that and then move on. So the first one is Christian science. Um, I have a joke. I may have told it before. I think it's really funny, but I guess it's not that funny. I mean, it kind of is funny. It's, I mean, it's like a light, friendly slam to the Christian scientists. But I always say, Christian, this kind of, but it helps us kind of understand, um, but it's kind of a light slam. Anyways, <laughs> prefaced it just because, you know, we're supposed to teach out of love and stuff. But Christian scientists are like grape nuts. Grape nuts are neither grapes nor nuts. Christian scientists are neither Christians nor scientists. <laughs> That's the joke. That's all I got. But um, <laughs> anyways, I guess it's not that great of a joke. Christian scientists, uh, Christian science, the first church of Christ scientists, began with a woman named Mary Baker Eddy. And she wrote this book called Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures. Mary Baker Eddy lived in the 1800s. She was very sick as a kid. She was an invalid at one point in her life. Prayed for healing to, to, to the God of the Bible. Was, according to her, healed of her. She was an invalid. She was healed. And so because of her healing, she said everyone should be able to experience these healings, these spiritual healings. And so she wrote a book, this book, uh, Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, that, that, that says, um, here's how to get healed. Here's, how, here's the, um, you know, the true secrets of, of the Christian religion is that evil doesn't exist. The, the world doesn't exist. Nothing exists. Nothing. There is no world. There is no spoon. Nothing exists. Very matrixy, like this world, you know, there's a real world and there's a fake world. This is a fake world. She went so far as it says evil doesn't actually exist. Nothing actually exists. And so she said, if you realize that, then, then you'll be healed. And so like I knew a kid in high school, it was my calculus class, and uh, he was in calculus with me. And one, one day he came to school and he's just like, man, my tooth really hurts. And he was like, Yeah. And he's like, yeah, but my religion doesn't permit me to go to the dentist or to the hospital. And he's like, what? What kind of religion are you? And he's like, oh, I'm a Christian scientist. And I was like, oh, all right, whatever. And so his tooth hurt. And then as the days progressed, he's like, man, my tooth is really hurting. And he, he to school every day, all of his classes, he had an ice bag on his face because his tooth hurt so bad. It turns out he, his wisdom teeth were coming in and his teeth were not, not enough room for his wisdom teeth. How many of you have had your wisdom teeth taken out? Yeah, like half the room or so. So his wisdom teeth were coming in. His mouth was bleeding. His tooth is aching. And yet Christian scientists, they, they, they don't forbid you to go to the hospital, but they kind of teach like, if you really have enough faith, you'll be healed. And so don't go to the hospital. Don't take aspirin. Don't do any of these things because you'll really be healed if you believe that there is no world. There is no sickness, no evil, no anything. And so as the weeks progressed, this guy's really struggling. Like always, I think it was about a week or two with an ice bag to his face, um, just always in pain. And, and then he was absent from school for, for a week. He came back without the ice bag and said, you know, I finally had to go to the dentist. It just became too unbearable. And so we talked about that. And it's like, well, you know, you know, your religion says that, you know, Jesus would, he, would heal you. And he's like, yeah, I must have not had enough faith. It's like, gosh, that's, it was just like very like, wow, in my, in, in, in your face, kind of like, like, yeah, he, he's admitting that he doesn't have enough faith because he went to the hospital. It's like, man, that's, that's sad. That's, that's, but that's what it is in Christian scientists, religion. And so in this book, getting to the foundational things, like I just kind of told a story about, you know, the healing. That's one of their big tenets. But here's what's foundationally different. Here's how, here's how salvation works to a Christian scientist. I'm, so I'm reading from Science and Health by Mary Baker Eddy. And it says that a man is th- saved through Christ, but also through truth, through life, and through love. If you, you just believe in, you know, that there is no world, there is no evil, and you just love each other, well, then that's a way to salvation. Furthermore, why is Jesus not able to totally save? Because on page, uh, let's see, 361, it clearly says, I underlined it, that Jesus Christ is not God. 
So that's a, fa- that's a foundational difference. That's why I joked and says, said Christian scientists are neither Christians nor scientists. They're not really scientists. But they, they do claim to be Christians. But how can you make these bold statements about salvation by works and Jesus is not God if you're claiming to also be a Christian? It just doesn't work. You, you no, know, there's something foundationally different about a Christian scientist and evangelical Christianity the, believing in the God of the Bible like we do. So that's Christian scientists just barely scratching the surface. Moving right on to Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, the, some Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door just a couple weeks ago. It was, sat, it was like Saturday at like 8.30 in the morning. So I was still in my PJs. So we didn't really have too much time to talk. Erica was in the shower. You know, just not the perfect scenario for having a good long chat with some Jehovah's Witnesses. But they came to my door. One of them, they like both dressed really nicely. One was like it's this guy, glasses on, all serious looking. He said, I'm so-and-so. This is my associate, Fred. And I looked down and it's like this seven-year-old, like <laughs> three-piece suit, like glasses on. Like, hello, sir. Like, hello, Fred, the associate. Um, and, uh, and he showed me this picture, and uh, the, this picture, you can't see it, uh, but it's in what the Bible really teaches. This is a publication of the Watchtower Society. He showed me this picture, and I'll just describe it for you. It's got a tank on it, obviously a war scene. There's a woman who is holding a baby. They're obviously very poor, asking for a handout. There's someone who looks like a robber holding a gun to someone's head, trying to rob them. And there's a nuclear bomb being uh, launched into the air. It's like a bad picture of Earth. And so this guy at the door with his associate said, look at this picture. This is kind of what life is like sometimes in a like war, the nuclear bombs. He's like, yeah. And then he said, how would you like it if it looked more like this? And he showed me this picture, which is the cover of your, of your skillet. This is uh, the kingdom, according to Jehovah's Witnesses. It's like a girl there singing out of a book. Doesn't that look fun? Everybody's got an instrument and picnicking. Everybody's smiling and loving life. He's like, what, you know, wouldn't it be nice if our world looked like this? And I said, yeah, sure, that looks sweet. <laughs> it's like deers prancing and stuff. Like, what am I supposed to say? No, that looks stupid. Um, it's like, of course, that looks, that looks cool. And he said, basically, their religion says, um, if, if believe in what's nice. It's kind of like their big authority. If you, you know, don't you want to believe in this and this nice thing that's coming? And so they believe that Jesus is going to return. You, if you're a part of their belief system, you don't have to die. Jesus just takes over the world, and, and life looks like this. You never have to actually die. You just get to live like that. And, but if you're not a part of the community, then there's, then there's fear. Like, you, you, you're not going to be a part of that paradise. You're going to be a part of hell. And they, they have pictures in here of what hell looks like. It's like, you don't want to look like that, dude. And you're like, no, I don't want to look like that. Um, and so there's, there's some fear involved. And there's this idea that, you know, just believe in what's nice. And going back to the fear thing, if, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, like say your family's Jehovah's Witness, and your son or your brother leaves Jehovah's Witness the church, you, by Jehovah's Witnesses' rules and standards, you're no longer allowed to talk to them ever again. And so it's like, don't talk to anyone that has left the church because of this fear, because of this, you know, they're going, they're, Jesus is going to return, they're going to hell, and, and so you want to be a part of the kingdom that's coming. Don't be a part of, of hell. And so there's fear involved. Um, what else do I want to say? It was started in the 1800s by a guy named Charles Taze Russell. He, um, he wanted to find the true church, began teaching um, things from the Bible, began changing translations of the Bible. If any of you have ever heard of this translation, it's called the New World Translations, the translation of the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they just blatantly change verses around according to their beliefs because they believe, oh, that's, you know, that's not the way we see it, so they're actually going to change the words of the Bible without any context to the Greek or to the Hebrew, the original language it was written in. Um, and so that, that's that. Uh, they were really big into date picking back in the day. They said Jesus is coming back in 1914. Charles Taze Russell predicted that. He's coming back. Get ready. This kingdom's coming. And then when 1914 came and went, said, oh, it must be off by a year. It's actually 1915. So they did, okay, 1915. And then 1915 came and went. It's like 1918 came and went. 1920 came and went. 1925. Then the church picks. Okay, seriously, 1941. But 1941 came and went. And and it's like, seriously now, 1957, promise this time, 1957 came and went. And so it's lots of, 
Like just, it's, their, the religion of Jehovah's Witness is very much eschatological. Jesus is returning to the earth. If you're a believer in, in the Jehovah's Witnesses, you don't have to die, um, but you just get to live, keep on living, keep on you know, living in your same house, and Jesus will make the wrong things right. So that's Jehovah's Witnesses' belief. Oh, foundationally, they don't believe Jesus is in fact God. They do not believe in the Trinity. They do believe that you have to work for your salvation. That's why they go house to house preaching, because if you don't do that, if you don't go house to house, then you're not truly saved. Um, you have to work for your salvation. So that's, that's a little bit of Jehovah's Witnesses. Finally, 12 tribes. How many of you have heard of 12 tribes? Probably less as, as Jehovah's Witnesses. They, there's only like 2,000 to 3,000 of them in the world. But it seems to be kind of a big deal in Colorado Springs because they, they, there's a big, um, they live in communities. So there's a commune of them in Colorado Springs and in Manitou. They have this coffee shop in Manitou called the Mate Factor. Have you heard of that? And so they, they have that. And their founder, Gene Spriggs, in the 70s, kind of out of the Jesus movement, this, this 70s culture, the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back for Gene and his small group was they went to church one night on a Sunday night and a church service was canceled because it was Super Bowl Sunday. And that was just the straw. He was like, how can you cancel church for a football game? Obviously, this isn't the real church. Let's start our own communal-driven church. And so they looked at the book of Acts uh, chapter 2 and said, let's, make our, let's live in community. Let's sell all we have and, and live like, 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 a, like a communistic, uh, like a socialistic government within ourselves. And so they would really say, like, you know, if, you, if you talk to a 12-triber, they would say, you know, why don't you just come live with us? Why don't you just come see how we do it? You know, we eat organic foods. We dress simply. We don't cut our facial hair. Everything is simplified. We don't watch TV. <coughs> we do all these things in community. And if you just come and see how we do it, you'll see that our way of life is right. And by seeing that our way, is life, way of life is right, you'll believe in what we believe in. However foundationally different to their religion than our religion. Because, I mean, we could attack the living in community thing. Like, but that's, I mean, that's fine. If a group of Christians want to live in community, that's fine, right? Yeah, yeah no, no, no big deal. But they have foundationally different um, beliefs than we do. And I'm, look, I'm reading their Three Eternal Destinies little magazine that they put out. And they, they, they are definitely salvation by works. If you ask them, you have to do good works to be saved, they would say, yes, you're saved by good works. And it says here, you choose your own eternal destiny by the moral standards you live by. A person's eternal destiny is, is a direction, in direct relation to how he obeys or disobeys his conscience. It's not about Jesus. Jesus, they would say, their wording is, Jesus saves you for good works so that you could do works and get saved. And they have three eternal destinies, so it gets a little confusing, but basically they believe that to be a part of the highest heaven, to be a part of the truly holy, to be a part of the really saved, you have to live in their communities as, 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 as a special place that they've been established to live a pure life away from the evil influences of the world. And you have to give joyfully of all your belongings and uh, live in this community. And, and that is how you're, in fact, saved. They would strongly, they would say that Jesus is not God. In fact, I was there this week and, and that we were talking about who Jesus is. And, and the, the dude that I was talking to actually said, yeah, Christians seem to put Jesus on a pedestal a lot. And I was like, yeah, how we do that? You know, he's, he's God and all, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but that, they, they wouldn't say Jesus is in fact God. So, in, to, to wrap up these three, I have one general thing I want to say. It's like, because they all believe in the Bible. They're, they're so similar to Christianity, but so foundationally different. I think the question becomes, what are these different groups placing their, their final authority in? For Christian scientists, you really have to believe that Mary Baker Eddy had this healing experience. And ultimately, all of your faith has to be filtered through Mary Baker Eddy really had a, 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 an experience. Therefore, I'm trusting in her experience and, and that she really wrote this out of having a true experience. So their final authority rests in someone else's experience. Mormons are similar. They would say, you know, our final authority rests in Joseph Smith's experience. He was in a grove of trees. He thinks he saw Jesus. Jesus spoke to him. He found some golden plates. All the faith is based upon someone else's experience.
Um, other religions, such as uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, it's more about your own experience. What do you think is right? And they'll show you pictures of, the, of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Oh, it's so, so pretty. There's deer prancing and people smiling. Don't you want to live there? Like, yeah, that sounds nice. I would like to do that because that sounds nice. And then, and then there's like this fear tactic. If you don't believe this, then you're going to die and you're going to go to hell and, and you can't be a, you can't, um, you, you know, they'll show you a picture of hell, of what that looks like. That's what that looks like. So you have to work for your salvation. And so ultimately your experience, excuse me, ultimately their authority rests upon what someone else is saying. It rests upon what they think is nice to believe. And for the 12 tribes, the ultimate authority rests upon the community that they live in. You know, just come and see how we live. You'll know that our way of life is right. We're being such a good example that, that when you come and see how we live, you'll also know that we are living right, but we are also truly worshiping right. And so therefore, they could change the Bible. Therefore, they could look at a scripture which says, you know, Jesus says, you know, I and the Father am one. They could look at that scripture and say, yeah, Jesus was just kind of kidding. Or Jesus didn't really mean that. Or Jesus meant something else when he said that. It's like, no, Jesus said that. He said, you know, he said these strong statements that he was, in fact, God. But they, they feel as though they could change that because they have such a great experience in their community. So, our final authority, that just to summarize with this, to leave you with this encouraging thought, is that our final authority rests on Jesus. Who he said he was. We don't, if, if Jesus was just another human that had a, a, a healing experience or something that we have to trust in, that it'd be like our, our whole religion is based upon someone else's experience? No, our whole religion is based upon Jesus. What the words he said, who he claimed to be, and he had the miracles to back it up. And this man died and then rose from the dead, proving that he was in fact also God himself, not just the man that died. And so therefore, our full faith as Christians is placed in Jesus, what he said, what he did, and, and the miracles, the history. I mean, you could go to outside of the Bible sources and find stories of Jesus inside of it. That's awesome. And so as we continue this month, next time we'll talk about Mormonism. That, that's, where we're, that's where we're coming from. We're coming from our final authority rests in Jesus alone. His words, the Bible, the, the scriptures according to, to what Jesus said, the eyewitness accounts of what he said and what he did. And so, um, yeah. That's what, we, that's what we have foundationally. Let's pray. God, we do praise you right now and, and thank you for, for you, Jesus. You, God, who came to this earth, didn't just show us the way. You weren't just a good prophet telling us what to do, how to work our way to salvation. But you claimed to be salvation yourself. You claimed to be the truth yourself. You claimed that you and the Father were one. You claim to be one nature with Christ, as it says in your, one nature with God, as it says in Philippians. So God, we put our trust in those words that you said. We, we trust that you are who you said you were and who you still are. We trust in you, Jesus, because you said those things. You proved it by res, r- resurrecting from the dead, from, from performing miracles, all these things. God, we place our full trust in you. God, we thank you for what you've done in our own lives so we could testify to what you've done because you have changed our life, because of what this community represents. God, our final authority we place on you, Jesus. We say thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for loving us enough. Thank you for being your awesomeness and your full Godhead that you are. So God, we leave here praising you, thanking you. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, friends, you're officially dismissed. See you next week. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) 